0: You're Going to Die, the podcast, is brought to you by YG2D, a 501c3 nonprofit bringing diverse communities creatively into the conversation of death and dying, inspiring life by unabashedly sourcing our shared mortality. To find out more, visit www.yg2d.com.
1: I just want to be upfront with you listeners, like I wasn't with this episode's guest, and admit to you that this conversation happened the week I stopped drinking coffee. <laughs> I hope you don't notice. Coffee, I miss you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to You're Going to Die, the podcast, your creatively conscious mortality podcast. My name is Ned Buskirk. This episode's guest I met via our producer, Nick Jaina, which is amazing. In fact, there's a few people that have been on the show that I only know now, and I count them as friends, and I have to credit Nick Jaina for that. I credit Nick Jana for many things, including his wonderful music, his wonderful editing, but also for connecting me to his wonderful community. And this episode's guest with Joshua Rose is no exception. So let's just get to it. Rose is a lifelong queer activist, revolutionary thought leader, and psychic survivor. They're currently responsible for protecting and expanding reproductive rights in Alaska. What a wonderful thing it is to have a podcast like this, to meet people and drop in so significantly, so deeply, with such meaning and emotion. This is the kind of conversation Rose offered for me, and I'm so grateful for them and our new connectedness. I hope you're grateful too to be connected to them here with this episode of You're Going to Die the podcast and Joshua Rose.
0: Um, Yeah, so I am very honored. Uh, My job is to protect and promote reproductive and sexual health access across the entire state of Alaska. Um, So most notably, what uh, usually that gets boiled down to in our culture war is uh, abortion access. And so I have been able to be the director of the only abortion provider in the state of Alaska during the overturning of Roe. So as our federal right to access an abortion has been lost and about 22 states have lost access to abortion at this point, um, but Alaska is not one of them. So it's a really interesting Mm. space to sit in where across the nation I'm watching our government increasingly and more actively because they've always been in control of especially black and brown bodies in general. Um, and especially anyone who can get pregnant, who is poor, um, the government has tried to control what they do with their body, but sitting with that happening in large scale and publicly while at the same time I've expanded access in Alaska with my team, and so, mm. and it's just like a really strange place to sit in, to feel like some sense of accomplishment as everything crumbles completely around
2: mm-hmm. me. Mm.
0: And sometimes, you know, I have to, I, yeah, I just get really like, what, what are we even doing? <laughs> you know, what are any of us even doing right now here? As like, we just, you know, I, I feel like I'm watching this, whatever this country was crumble in my lifetime in front of my eyes um yeah a lot of heavy stuff (laughs)
2: yeah
1: we are off and running um i want i want to keep going with this because i it mattered a lot to read your description of it's like a snapshot of your work during one of the more intense times of ever doing your work i imagine and and i'm just wondering if uh you can describe for for me and the listeners, like what, what it was like to be doing the, the work you do when, when row fell?
0: Yeah. So I started as, at this organization. I've you know, been working here for five years and I've held almost every job. Um, and I accepted the position as the director about a year before Roe fell, but knowing that it would And so we've been watching and and saw the chess moves of them moving this one particular case up the circuit courts, you know, to have it ready when they won the majority on the Supreme Court. So about two years ahead of when it happened, we saw that they were pretty much one chess move away um, from getting enough judges and having that case be heard. And so started planning, started planning as a healthcare organization of how do we move people across state lines? You know, how do we legally do that? How do we transport medical records, insurance, like, you know, setting up with abortion funds, you know, to make sure that people had the money to travel, Um, you know, over 50% of people who access an abortion already have kids. So they need someone to watch their kids when they travel, you know, or bring their kids, you know, there's just all these pieces, you know, that we were trying to think logistically to try to get people care. But then, you know, another big part of my job is like, but what does that mean for people emotionally and publicly? And how do we communicate in a way that is supportive and informational and caring? Um, And so just really thinking through all of these different pieces of it. And so then just. You know, for like two weeks, like every day at 10 a.m. Eastern time, refreshing the Supreme Court page Mm. to see when the decision was going to come down. And then. Like the day it did, I just I like saw it there. I remember I was outside and I just laid down. For five minutes (laughs) and took a bunch (laughs) of deep breaths and then just like. Got up and called the press and just did what we had planned to do. Um, And it felt really like an out-of-body experience. Like, I, like, it just felt numb. And it just also, though, just like, I knew it was coming, but that didn't, like, make me feel special, you know, but, but it just, it Mm -hmm. felt Mm -hmm. so much like how, you know, which we can get into like my, the death of my mom's husband, like where I had been there living with them, helping care for him. And I told everyone, you know, this is coming, this is coming. But then when it actually happened, like no one was ready to process that grief, you know, and it, Mm -hmm. it really felt like I was a death doula in row helping people to process that grief of wh- what it meant to have a government that so blatantly said, I don't care about you. Um, you know, and, and really like processing that with a lot of white people, honestly, because again, like there's always been different systems of healthcare and access for people in this country. And it was like this simultaneous understanding that like your whiteness won't even save you. You know, in this, like, mm. post-in-stage capitalism hellscape that we find ourselves in. You know, like, okay. they, they're they coming for everyone. And they're not going to be discriminatory on who that is anymore. You know, if you mm. don't have wealth mm-hmm. and power, then then they want to take everything from you. To gain that wealth mm-hmm. and power for themselves. And so, yeah, it just watching and having to, to be in that space of support and calm, right? Because like we wanted people to know that like we were here before and we're not going anywhere and we're still going to be here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it just, yeah, sorry. I'm trying to find the words. It just was really hard and strange and, and just really mm-hmm. felt like,
1: like leading the funeral. Hmm. I mean, I'm really, yeah, I'm really feeling that connection between Jim. You know, Jim's death and 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 this like holding space for people in this grief, in this kind of death. Um. And and it is a bigger, it is a big question. I mean, the the short version of it is, you know, did you make that connection early on? in all that? Or is this like, in retrospect, really seeing the the similarities of that, you know, those contexts? And also, you know, for me, Rose, I'm just so obviously I can say, here's all the ways that death in my past has me in the work I do now. And I'm wondering if you can draw more connections between some of what you've lived through in your life in relationship to mortality and some of the losses you've endured and maybe even stuff specifically you know I don't I don't know that connects to to abortion and and that context but with a list of things you've shared with me that you've lived through the losses you've endured I'm wondering if you feel strong connection between that part of your journey and where you're at now with this work
0: yeah i definitely do i think When Roe happened and Jim passed away, I started drawing those parallels of how it felt similar. Mm -hmm. But I think the longer it goes, the more I'm realizing like how those things are connected. And the more I'm kind of finding my place in all of my work, like not just my paid work. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it is just interesting to be so surrounded by death and become comfortable with death. I would say my relationship to grief is very different. I am not comfortable mm. <laughs> with the amount of grief that I feel, but I have become comfortable yeah. with death. Mm. Um, and like,
1: mm, that's interesting. Mm.
0: <laughs> so yesterday <laughs> a friend called um, her dad had been on hospice and she just, you know, I don't know her well. And I had just told her like when her dad was dying, I was like, I know a lot of our friends don't have experience with this. And I was like, if you get in a place where you don't know what to do, you can call me. And she did. And I was Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. honored. And she, yeah, she just was like, it's now I know what a death rattle is. She's like, he's just here and he's not Mm -hmm. here and I can't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was, yeah, I was like, I know too. I was like, I can come and just sit next <laughs> yeah, to you.
1: So huge! I was right, like, exactly. I can come
0: and just sit next to you because there, mm-hmm. you know, you, there's no fixing it, you know. And um, mm-hmm. that was actually, I mean, I also, like you said, right? I had to learn these lessons unfortunately young. Um, yeah. So when I was a teenager, my grandma. So we were raised really, really poor, and there's seven siblings, and I remember it was one of the first times my mom had ever gone on a vacation. Her and my aunt went back to the towns in Mexico where they had lived when they were younger. Um, and while they were gone, also, this was a while ago. My brother recently was like, why didn't you just call her on a cell phone? And I was like, that's adorable. (laughs) Um,
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Like, uh, so they were there and our grandma, um, became unconscious and had a do not resuscitate order, And so on
1: this trip Mm -hmm. while
0: they're on this trip. And so our grandma and us Mm -hmm. are back in Florida and, Mm. you know, normally people don't live very long uh, without fluids or any intervention. And she lived 15 more days until all of her children visited her. And like me and my mom went, and left to get some space and then we're just like we have to go back and when only me and my mom were there she just like we got there and my mom held her hand and she died and it was Mm -hmm. beautiful and I felt bad because in our like culture we're not allowed to call death beautiful it was like she waited Uh I saw this like agency somehow in this like space where you think you completely lack any agency it felt very much like she waited to see everyone you know and also for us like you know like we we both like she it felt like she got to see everyone and we got to say goodbye and then it felt Mm -hmm. like intentional that it was just me there with my mom that she knew like you're the one who's gonna be able to hold mm-hmm. space for your mom in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so our death was so beautiful. And is
1: that true of all your siblings? Like that's that you would be the one.
0: Yeah. Maybe my sister will be mad when she hears Mm -hmm. that, but I think my other siblings would acknowledge. (laughs) She doesn't have
1: to. Um, You kind of already said it. You said grandma was like you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, honestly. And, you know, not to say this, not they couldn't also, but, you know, like this was the moment. This was the time of letting go. Your grandma knew you could do it. And maybe that would have been true at that moment for another one of the siblings, but just what I feel like you're acknowledging isn't like you're the only one. It was like you could right then. Yeah. You were right there with her, you know? That's, that's so, yeah, that's so beautiful. That's so sweet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And my other siblings were a lot younger, you know? And I just, I think, Mm -hmm. I think that part of it is that I have a lot of experience with death and grief, but I think another part is that I am more open to all of the things that that means and feels you know, than other people. Mm. And so she had,
1: well, I know, I know, I feel that now, you know, it seems like, but was this the first major loss though for you? And so then, then the question is like, you maybe already were the kind of kid or, or young adult who could just have that inclination. You know, I wonder like my first major loss was until my mom died, but I also think I was like, ready, maybe as young as like 13 to start being like, uh, do you guys like, this is all going to (laughs) end? Uh, you know, like the inclination to to be thinking about death and mortality and all that. Do you relate to that?
0: I don't know. That's a really good question. I, we had a cousin Mm. that lived with us when I was little. Um, and she passed away when I was five Mm. and I, I, Remember the intense grief surrounding me, but it didn't Mm -hmm. hit me until we were on the boat putting her ashes into the ocean. And then I remember Mm -hmm. just like click, and I just like all of it fell in my heart. Like I felt it physically in that Mm -hmm. moment for the first time. And then my little brother's mother passed away when I was 13. And oh man, I was like, just realizing this, I said her name the other day and I, you know, I'm 41 and like, it still hurts. Mm-hmm. Like it hurts so much. Um, mm. But I don't think those maybe just from my age or, you know, like those were just pain. Um, and then when mm-hmm. my grandma died, I saw this other side of death, you know? Yeah, that it it didn't have to be traumatic. Ooh, yeah, um, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, right.
0: Like mm-hmm. their deaths were, um, mm-hmm. but then my grandma's funeral because uh, she was Catholic. Uh, none of us had ever really been in a <laughs> yeah. church before. Like
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love this, by the way. I love this. Which will you'll 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 get to, the listener will hear the the the, the like contrasts here, but the swap between this loss and another loss. I just want to say I had to read that section a couple times because uh yeah, it just feels like a really good way of highlighting some of the points you're making. I'm glad that we're making time for this. So the funeral. Yeah. The funeral for your grandma is a Catholic, uh Catholic.
0: Funeral. catholic funeral we were all raised atheist half of my siblings are jewish my little brother had like just been bar mitzvahed so he's having this like existential crisis about taking the eucharist i think that's what it's called it's just like yeah chaos <laughs> and then yeah. we go up to do communion see this is like i everything i know is like from like broadway play like Joseph and Technicolor Dreamcoat. (laughs) That's what I know about Christianity. Um, And our cousin Mm. spits it out like not in a, like he's a kid, you know? And so they're just like, ceremony over everybody out Uh, and we get kicked out of the funeral. Wow. And I'm like... Because
1: you know like they're saying stuff sometimes in those contexts where they're like, you shouldn't be taking this if you're not right with God or right with the Catholic God. So, you know, so I'm just wanting to acknowledge it for a kid. Like that's sometimes that's what you're hearing. So to be in the middle of it and be like, I don't know, what am I eating? Who Who is this? Yeah. Wait, I'm maybe not. I, maybe I shouldn't because whatever other religion or other beliefs I have. Wow. But that they would, they would stop it and, and, <laughs> Oh my gosh. In the midst of the funeral.
0: Yeah. And so then we're going graveside and I'm like getting in the car with my mom and I'm like, I'm so sorry. You know that like, I was like, I felt like I was responsible for like all of the children in the family as being like slightly older. And my mom was like, oh no, that was great. Those things are going forever. (laughs)
1: So you just all could just bail at that point. You just used it as the out.
0: Yeah, she was like, she was like, they never shut up at that church, and I was like, okay, yeah, Um, yeah.
1: And you're getting it like this beautiful what I and what this is what I love about this story is, you know, you're you're it's important I think with this kind of thing to acknowledge like with my mom's death, certainly the seeking some something different in in my work, but in other, you know, lives, other deaths that I've been a part of, wanting to support what I think is is possible now, which is like something that has more of a container to it, something that like doesn't feel so lonely, something that might be magical and beautiful, and that there's no guarantee that it'll go that way. You know, even often the listeners heard me say, There's my mom's death and then my mother-in-law's was just the difference because there was a hospital, but also there were like really horrific, terribly difficult, even traumatizing things that happen in that loss. And so I just wanna highlight what I think you know and have lived through, which is like, it's about what's possible. It's it's not always like, this is definitively the way to go. And by the way, even the beautiful magical death could end up resulting in some other like fucked up thing that might occur. Cause that's death, that's that's life, but that's death and it's complicated. Um, I'm, I'm sort of wanting to just like declare that, but also wondering, it seems like you get that from all the stories that you've already shared with me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, it, it's just, it's wild how it's completely out of control, but inevitable at the same time. You know, yeah. like, eventually uh-huh. we all will be dead. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but how we get there is so completely unique to every single person.
1: Yeah. And then I think it would help now to hear you speak about the other loss that happened, like within a week of that, your grandma dying. Yeah.
0: So a week. If you
1: feel ready. I mean, I feel, I, mean, yeah. I just, I, no. I want to acknowledge like, we're nearly two people that are like, can we just get to it? <laughs> and there's other questions I've been holding that I kind of was like, all right, I'm going to let it go. Cause we're going for it right now. And so I have a, I have, I know we'll get to this. If you want to like take any pit stops right now, I could also throw something. Okay, no, cool. let's I'm go. I'm
0: like let's <laughs> let's do it. it. It's also really comforting <laughs> to talk about. Mm. Um, I talk about it to myself a lot, but I don't really mm. have anyone else um, to talk about it
1: with. Yeah, could you could you describe that more? Like, what is it that's comforting about it? I mean, I know what you're talking about. I think but I'm just wondering, yeah.
0: Well, because we don't talk about death. And if we do, then we only we don't talk about it truly, I don't think, even when we do talk about it. Um, you know, or I'm seen as like a downer yeah. or I'm putting too much emotionally on someone else, you know, or it's just weird to talk about and you shouldn't, you know, whereas Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I want to talk about this. Like, this is something that's Mm -hmm. affected me greatly. And it's something that I'm eventually going to go through myself, you know, and Mm -hmm. and I want to talk about it. I want to process it with the other people who are here with me right now. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I feel like, you know, when I get a chance, which is so rare, right. I mean, I feel like, I don't know about you, but it's actually kind of wild as much as I work in the conversation of death and dying and loss and grief, how rare I get a chance to talk in detail about what it was like when my mom died. And, I, you know, I'm okay with that, especially maybe now in my life, but also it matters so much, even just that, you know, it's like, sure. Like you said, it's the certain things we're saying, like the kinds of stuff we're communicating about these losses That's like, when is the last time you got to talk in detail about your grandma and these other deaths in your life? And that there's something about even the storytelling of it that makes me feel comfort. I mean, it reconnects me to my mom. I mean, that's probably even that is as, as, as important. Part of the moment as as anything else, I just feel like I'm like honoring her by getting to say like Here's exactly how I went down. You know it feels fresh too, to return to a time that like transformed me as it was unfolding. It was like changing my life forever, like it sounds like these deaths were doing to you,
0: yeah, so yeah, so a week later, my dad passed away. he was in Thailand at the time, um and I was living, I, w- I moved out when I was a teenager. I was living in a punk house in an attic. And uh, I came home and luckily I didn't see it. But my little brother's dad had left a post-it note on the door that my dad had died and I should call my mom. <laughs>
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: So I found out my dad died, and it, it just, like, that was it. Like, I was just down in a well. And I remember one of my friends, Jessica, at the time, who was even younger than me, she just came over, and she just laid me on her lap, And she didn't say anything and just let me cry. And like that lesson that she taught me in that moment has been so valuable. And I don't know if she realizes it. Like she didn't try to Mm -hmm. fix it. She didn't tell me it was going to be okay. She didn't tell me, you know, she she just let me cry and exist and be sad. And she held me for so long, just in silence. And it was really, it was what I needed, you know, mm-hmm. and then, um,
1: I just feel a couple things I want to know is how did you, had you just gotten back from your grandma's funeral? Like what is the timing order? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it had how been like a couple days.
1: Mm-hmm. Already kind of cracked open, you know?
0: Yeah. But,
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Nothing prepared me <clears throat> for this. Like, Mm. you know and
1: Mm -hmm. and like do do you do I want to make the connection too between what Jessica offered you and what how you described the sitting with dying earlier which is that like you're not you're that's what you're doing with the dying it's like you're not you're for sure not going to fix the death rattle you know it's like your work is to be
0: yeah yeah and just it was just exactly what I needed. She let me just be mm-hmm. in that moment and in that grief and process it through my body and not try to fix it. And it was so beautiful. And then, you know, like we were really, really poor, but one of my, as word spread, one of my dad's friends offered to buy me a ticket to Thailand to go get his body. And so I remember being under the kitchen table holding my friend's foot, crying, as he called a travel agency, because that was the only way to get, you know, out of the country. And all of my friends loaded in the minivan and drove me to the airport. And I remember my friend Tom gave me this Tupperware of pasta. And I remember eating it on the plane And realizing that I hadn't eaten in days and like, I still can taste that food in my mouth. Like that Mm -hmm. moment Mm -hmm. felt like I was starting to come back in my body after not being there for Mm -hmm. so long. And just like holding Mm -hmm. that food and realizing like that I had all these people that loved and cared for me. You know, like six punks didn't need to get in a minivan to drive me to the airport, you know, (laughs) but like, they they all just wanted to be present,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know? Mm -hmm. And I just feel so lucky that I had so many friends who were just, were just present. Mm. And then I Mm -hmm. flew to Thailand (laughs) alone to get my dad's body and Bangkok is, I don't know if you've ever been to Bangkok. (laughs) It's just like, Mm huge 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 Mm -hmm. city um and also then getting there and realizing you know like i don't have money like what am i gonna do and then yeah like they didn't even understand that they were like "Well, he's at the buddhist temple and i went to see him and he was laying on inside of this like huge like maybe thousand feet high um, like cremation, like beautiful, you know, when you see the pictures of Buddhist temples, you know, I in Bangkok, it. and he's just in this incredibly beautiful ancient place, you know, and, and then realizing that like the layout is set up for this to be in the center, you know, to like, be, to mm-hmm. have this funeral ritual, like in the center of this space of, you know love and it was just beautiful and they were just like you can just be here as long as you want and be with him you know and
1: how old were you rose
0: i had just turned 18 oh my gosh <laughs> and like you know they just had so many options they were like you know, you, you can be a part of this ceremony. This is what we're going to do as we burn his body. Someone will be with him the whole time. You know,
1: like, Did you know before you went that he was a part of a community or, you know, I mean, how did you know where to go? I mean, you'd be like, I'm not going to go into the logistics, but I'm, I'm just thinking at 18, it's like, why was he there? Why did you know where to go? Did you know when you got there that he, there'd already be plans cause you're going to get his body, but you didn't know they were, go ahead. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, <laughs> I was just
1: like, at, 18, at 18, I was, uh, you know, washing dishes at a taqueria. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I am just thinking what in the hell that would have been like for, for you by, at that point. And also probably, you know, you were this person already to be the one to go. Yeah. You know, like how you were in the world already, even by 18.
0: I I definitely have mentioned to my mom recently as an adult that um, now that I am a full-on adult at 41, I couldn't (laughs) imagine sending a child to another country to get a body. Totally. (laughs) So I definitely am like maybe some choices were happening
1: alone alone. Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh, Rose. Wow. Um, That's insane.
0: like, I know we didn't have the money, but like there, there were other people that, you know, could have gone with me. Um, Mm. and so, I mean, I just, I, I think someone talked to the consulate. I knew I had to go to the police station. So that was like the first place that we went. Um, and then like how I said, like, it's just like, that was just what you do. Like, it wasn't something Mm -hmm. special just for him. You know, it was Mm -hmm. like in Thailand, like that is what, you know, the Buddhists do. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah. For anyone that died. Yeah.
0: For everyone.
1: It's like, he wasn't a part of the temple or anything.
0: No, it just was. That's what they provide for the community.
1: I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that.
0: I didn't either. Wow. And so also just that contrast, you know, and they're both religions, right? Buddhists and the Catholics. And just like mm-hmm. how the Buddhists were just so well prepared to shepherd me through the process mm-hmm. and him through the final stages of his body turning, you know, back into elements and dust.
1: Well, I would I would say that, you know, the Catholic Church is well prepared too. <laughs> but just for i mean i don't want to go too deep into this but you know like these systems are set up in different ways uh that aren't honoring life and death maybe they're you know it's like the reasons they're doing what they do aren't as inclined towards like the sacredness or the holding of the spirit in a, a certain way or in, but i could even hear it as i'm saying like a ca- someone who's catholic could argue that, you know, but I just know the sterile context you're talking about. It's like no one's saying there's not a Catholic out there that didn't have a funeral that was really meaningful and held life like sacredly and, and, and with honor. And it was beautiful. Like I know that that happened. And so many, especially in this country of our systems. And I think some of our like religious institutions aren't maybe set up to do these things for the right reasons, you know? Um, I mean, especially when you think about like how there's, there's a funeral industry that's prepared, right? Yeah. But the reason, the way they're prepared sometimes is to make money, you know, off of this, this moment, you know, Yeah. in, in contrast to like the holding sacred, a sacred occurrence.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's beauty and toxicity and all things depending on mm-hmm. how you can approach them. So, um, mm-hmm. But it just like walking into that temple, like I, I had no frame of reference for what I was walking mm-hmm. into. And then to just see also very, I feel like the physical space and design you know in the natural world like define and give you the ability to define your feelings and so to be mm-hmm. just completely completely destroyed by grief and to walk through these golden gates and see like this space that mirrored in the other direction how much grief i felt celebration of his life and to have strangers put him in the center of all that mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like beautiful Mm -hmm. and it didn't make me any less sad but it gave me a conduit to keep moving with my grief and that contrast really showed me like I think if I hadn't had the ability to start to process his death it would have taken me like even longer Like I needed that, you know, I I needed to watch him go up in flames, like I needed to see this closure and, and feel those feelings even though it was incredibly
2: hard. everybody. Podcast producer Nick Jana here, taking a little break from this wonderful interview with Joshua Rose to just say, hey, um, sometimes I wish that podcast had lobbies, uh, not like congressional lobbies, but like lobbies at a theater where we could take an intermission and all step outside and get some refreshments. And maybe you see a friend of yours that you didn't know was at the same podcast at the same time and you'd be like, how are you liking it? What do you think? What'd you think of that? Um, you don't really get a lot of those elbow-rubbing moments with digital spaces like on Zoom meetings and stuff. You know, you can't look over at the other person very easily and say, like, get a load of this teacher or present presenter or something, you know? Also, no refreshments available on a podcast. I mean, you could get them yourself, but we can't facilitate that at all which is too bad because um everybody loves refreshments it's just like a little scene break anyway um if you're having trouble with um the disconnection with modern society and feeling isolated this organization you're gonna die offers a free grief release meeting every wednesday what is a grief release It's just a way to connect with people and have a chance to have a few minutes to speak to a a room full of people who are holding the space and listening um, and are uh, primed to expect something maybe um, not just cheery and surface level, but something actually deep. Uh, It's a wonderful space where you can talk about something that's been giving you a hard time and, and just feel that collective Uh, sigh and acceptance and support Uh, and it's free it's 5 p.m pacific time every Wednesday uh, hosted through this organization you're gonna die and there's a link on the website to where you can go there I'm there sometimes playing a song or talking about my hard day Um, it's wonderful it's a really amazing thing that this organization does completely for free Um, I, I didn't come up with it. Ned <laughs> Ned came up with it. Chelsea came up with it. Um, their commitment to wanting to be uh, of service to the community, uh, not just in the Bay Area of California, but all around the world, anywhere people are feeling this thing lacking in their lives. Perhaps it's kind of like a church space. Perhaps it's like a theater lobby space, um, a place where you can just kind of like have that bouncing off of energy and reflection and know like i'm okay i'm not the most singularly uh, a lonely and uh ill-begotten person in the world there are other people around me that see me that can maybe just check in with me and smile about the hard times or cry about the hard times uh it's really wonderful aspect of this organization that i'm always proud of whether it's in the open mic uh open mic uh open mics <laughs> what do we call those open mic uh concerts i was gonna say whether it's in the open mics or in the grief releases or writing workshops or any combination of the things that happen in you're gonna die it's um i'm really proud to, to be a part of something that offers such things in addition to interviews like this one uh this happens to be a good friend of mine joshua rose who i'm very proud of for being, uh, the leader of, um, <clears throat> oh, my voice cracked, uh, the leader in Alaska of maintaining abortion rights. And you might think like Alaska, what does that matter? Like that's so far off the map. It doesn't even matter. But, um, there was a time not too long ago when, uh, Alaska was uh, the deciding vote on whether a certain Supreme Court justice was going to be confirmed, and there was a chance that um, the Alaskan senator could be swayed because they weren't completely, totally, ideologically one way or the other. Um, obviously, that didn't work out, but what happens anywhere in this country and the world matters, and um, my my friend Joshua Rose is, is leading that movement that has not only maintain but expand reproductive rights in that state so uh, I think it's a wonderful chance to connect with them on this wonderful podcast and I'm just here to, to thank you for listening and to remind you that uh, we have a fundraiser coming up for You're Gonna Die that's gonna fund ourselves for the whole year and if you've never checked in with us and the organization it's, it's much more than just this podcast and you can go to YG2D.com to learn more about all the things that we do
0: it's just so interesting that like we've removed ourselves so much in this culture for some reason like Mm -hmm. we could all have that you know there's no reason why we can't have these beautiful you know temples to death and to to those that are still living holding that death Mm -hmm. um it just yeah, that was the first time. It was just this like stark contrast. And then I think I, you know, told you about like now understanding, like in order to like help grieve, like we actually have to grieve. Um mm-hmm. and seven years ago my little brother passed away suddenly. That is a grief that I yeah. also still hold. But the beautiful part of that was that my mom, someone contacted my mom and was like, uh, they just opened a natural burial place and it's right by my mom's house. Um, And so we went to see what that was because we didn't even know what it was. And so what it is, is this group of people bought a big chunk of land that's on the border of state protected land to try to create a zone of just expanding that protected land, um, and so they're making it into a cemetery, um, mm. but it's a natural burial cemetery. So no, where is this? So it's in Gainesville, Florida. Um, mm-hmm. It's amazing and beautiful, and so you no chemicals whatsoever. No, even like you, you're you know naked or just in a, a, a cotton cloth you know, everything, there's no tombstones, there's no markers except for one tiny little marker that they put in all of the spots. And we went out mm. there cause we were one of the first and me and my siblings walked around and we picked ocean's spot. Mm. And then
2: his name's ocean.
0: Yeah. Ocean. Mm-hmm. And we picked his spot and we dug his grave <laughs> Mm. And I know that it sounds morbid, but in that I moment, don't hear
1: it that way. Like <laughs> I mean, I just <laughs> want to be clear. Okay, I mean, you know, of course, you're not surprised, but are you kidding?
0: And it once again was just like, these people had offered me the experience and the pathway to mm-hmm. grief that I didn't know that I needed, and mm. me and my brother's. Uh, my sisters, they didn't want this process for grieving and I respect that. And we're out there in the Florida heat, just like, literally, <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm emotionally in a well and I'm literally in a grave. Mm-hmm. And it's like a hundred degrees and I'm just sobbing mm-hmm. and we're just all taking turns, like helping each other in and out. I remember at one point my brother Lakota, like reaching in because it had gotten too deep and I couldn't get out. And I'm just like this fucking metaphor, you know? Like I'm in too deep, <laughs> yes. and like the only yeah. people who someone, can help me,
1: someone else, yeah, exactly. Get out, yeah. you know? Is,
0: is someone yeah. going through it with me? Is my <laughs> brother, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And Florida's sand, but we picked. The one spot of clay in all of Central Florida it took us
1: 6 hours. Oh my gosh. And I, oh. <laughs> like <laughs>
0: it's we held the record for longest grave digging. is that right (laughs) until recently we broke (laughs) our record with jim so you did (laughs) yeah um we picked because he wanted to be next to ocean so back in the clay we went
1: so you were back there again wow
0: yeah i I mean
1: this seems very uncommon yeah, like a, the option for this, yeah. But it's I mean, also, I'm trying to think like you, where you live now. You know, when you find out like your friend, um, who, who you mentioned earlier, has someone dying, thinking about them coming to you, and and like, what are the options where you're at? You know, that's the thing for me is like, I in San Francisco, you're not going, <laughs> and, and, and I know they're out there. I know there's options out there, but it just seems extraordinary that that this place. Was right there by your family, yeah, <laughs> by your family's home yeah
0: and and it's it's wanted because it's almost mm-hmm. full, mm. you know, like it's wow. so desperately yeah. wanted that we went from mm. being one of the first families there to now it's almost full, and they're looking at buying mm. more property close by to continue. Mm. It's all volunteer run. So after Ocean passed away, Jim would volunteer to help dig graves for people who Mm. either didn't want to or physically couldn't. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and if I lived Mm -hmm. there, I would absolutely be doing that as well.
1: (laughs) Me too. Oh My goodness.
0: And yeah. And it's just, you know, you just put him down and then you, everyone covers him back up, you know, and Mm. over the years it's, been interesting because i live far away and so like seeing you know the convex like amount of dirt over his body just slowly and and now you know the last time i was there i had a struggle finding him because he's just back to nature there's no Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it just yeah
1: Mm -hmm. yeah the measurement of that yeah yeah
0: And he's got so many neighbors now. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. 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 Wow. That's so powerful. What is that place? You know, and is it, do you know anything about it being more common as an option? That particular um, design, you know?
0: I think it's called Prairie Creek. Now I feel bad, but I'm never in a good headspace. No, we'll find it. We'll put it <laughs> in the show
1: notes. <laughs> <laughs> Go there.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I was going to be like, actually, people can donate to them. Like it's all volunteer yeah, run. Yeah, we'll, and we'll
1: it's put it in the show notes. Yeah.
0: Amazing and beautiful. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know of a lot of other places like that. You know, yeah. and it's such it's such a beautiful idea for grief and for families. But then it's also such a beautiful idea to stop. The spread of construction and roads mm-hmm. and you know That's right. like That's
1: it's what i was feeling mm-hmm.
0: it's sacred hollowed ground now like they can't mm-hmm. put a condo for baby boomers mm-hmm. to ride their trump golf carts around there you
2: know yeah, yeah in
1: florida no less right <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i want to i've been holding this thing that you said earlier and and feeling it maybe now more clearly the the inclination to ask it because you you said like you could hold something like you you said you can hold the death you, you're you're able to do that but what you're having a hard time maybe now is like it's hard to hold how much grief there is and and I'm wondering if you can put more words to that too because you've clearly had practice after all of this and and more I'm sure and in the work you do what does it mean to say you can't really hold that? Is it uh is it that it's so much right now? Is it that you've always related to grief that way out of all these losses or is it a way of acknowledging like how big grief really is? I'm I'm wondering if you can articulate a little more what you meant by that.
0: Yeah, I think like the act of death and all the different ways it can look I'd feel comfortability with,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but the pain of grief is it just still so overwhelming. Um, like, you know, I've come to terms, you know, I've, I've, I've thought through like those final moments, you know, where I wasn't there. Like my dad, you know, one of the, the hotel owner was like, yeah, he came down and had cake for breakfast and Mm. went up to his room. And, and, you know, and they showed me the photos of him from, you know, the police getting there. And I just, I struggled a lot with like, what did he feel so alone? Cause he was alone, you know? And, and my brother passed away in his sleep, you know? And so just wondering like, was he in pain? Did he know? Mm. And, you know, I've like, come to terms with the fact that like, I just won't know till I die what it, what it's like, you know, in Mm -hmm. those final moments, but the pain I still feel from not having them in my life Mm. is like pain that I just like, I don't think I can work all the way through. I think it Mm. just always will hurt and cyclically, right? Like some days I can joke about it and some days Mm -hmm. it's crushing. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Rose. I mean, part of me wants to say like, well, what's the better version? Like what, what is being able to do that? Because I, because I am so inclined, no surprise to say the grief that you have is part of how you honor them. Um, but then I can hear you saying like, is there something else to work through? I, I'm not, I haven't been able to. Um, but then I just wonder if that's, that is also just how grief is. Um, but I don't know, uh, you know, can you speak more to that? Like, is there a place you'd, you, other than having them back, what else is there but to have this heartbreak from them not being here?
0: It's a really good question. And it's making me realize that I have two really different answers for both of them.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Like, the grief is that my brother, you know, every day that I'm here and I get to experience something no matter what it is, like, hard or easy, love or pain. Like, he doesn't get to do that. And I wanted him to get to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, like, he really wanted to be a dad. And I, my little sister was like, Mm -hmm. he'd have a kid by now. You Mm -hmm. know, like, yeah. And I just want that that ongoing
1: grief of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And also, like, my dad was only my dad. And so I held that grief alone. Mm -hmm. And now I know that all my siblings know how hard that is. And I hate that too. Mm -hmm. That they now feel something that that they will never make it all the way through. And now they Mm -hmm. hold what grief feels like. And -hmm. I just didn't want that for them yet.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. That I understand that, and I understand too the like hearing even as you say it, like this is inevitable. It's like we don't want, we don't want, we don't want them to feel that way. We don't want anyone to, but we've lived through things that we know wait for everybody. It's just the difference. I think even more for you is how early, you know, how young you were.
0: So I just yeah, I don't want that for them. But when it yeah. comes to my dad, I'm more selfish. I wanted more time mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a really amazing person and I feel like my life would be really, really different than it is right now. If he had, yeah. you know, still been alive, mm-hmm. if I had been able to still share experiences with him and get advice from him and love from him, um, and so that's yeah. really hard too to be like, my life was altered in so many ways. Like I had to learn mm-hmm. to hold grief at a very young age, but then it also meant that I didn't have the love and guidance and support of this mm-hmm. parent that yeah. offered me a lot of those things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I obviously relate. and I, And it was interesting. I could say for my mom, it's like both the, what you just described and kind of what you described with your brother, which is especially with my kids. Right. You know, it's like, I wish my mom could be here if she, if she knew my kids, you know, like what a thing or my wife, she died right when I started dating Sarah. Um, So there's a little bit of that too. And that's just all, you know, I just have moments, like you said, it's not every day, but there's just times when it's like, Oh, it's there, it's present. Like it breaks my heart. And it's not always that hard, you know? There's times when it's not, you know? I do I do feel right now with this loss I just shared with you, this cancer patient who's dying, there's been fear in our community too around them being alone. And I don't know why it feels important for me to say this about them, something I trust, which is the like returning to that happens when we die. I don't have beliefs about the afterlife and I don't talk about it a lot, but there's this trust I have in that like returning to something and even someone's like hearing people often that I've been with who are dying, talk about the dreams and the the visitations from those have, that have gone before them and just knowing trusting like, and you'd be like, dude, stop trying to fix, stop trying to fix this, this moment, you know, that your dad, your dad's death and your brother's death. But this like feeling of want, you know, I can't help it, but know that there was like a return, that there wasn't aloneness, you know, if anything, however hard and, and, you know, dark it was, there was a, a moment of like return, um, I don't know why I have to trust in that. Maybe that's me just like trying to make <laughs> the inevitable better. It's sure that's what it is, but it feels worth saying right now.
0: No, I I think you said that because it made me remember something that I had forgotten, which is, yeah, because I, I also am like, well, I don't know what, if anything, is going to happen. Um, hmm. But Jim was having all of these dreams, and mm-hmm. he would like describe the people and it was people from like our family visiting him mm-hmm. you know and like mm-hmm. yeah i don't i don't know how to explain that I you know I, <laughs> <either>. <laughs> um,
1: I mean cuz for me it's like thinking of doing certain God, why why am i forgetting blanking on this drug but it's like uh starts with the d it's dmt it's yeah DMT that that we can take those right now we could go and get some and like in it, uh light up the things that get lit up when we die right that's the idea and um and I don't know I don't know I don't know the science I don't know if it's proven but that I'm, what I'm trying to say is like, I don't know who's visiting, but I do know that like maybe there's ways we're made up to just even feel like we're not alone. Like who knows where the dream comes? Who know, Who knows what brain chemicals are getting released when we die? But that we're made in a way, like the humans that we are, we're made in a way that these things do occur. And so then we at least get the feeling, right, of relief and release and return and belonging. Um, yeah, so I that it doesn't have to be like, well, it's because God exists. And everybody's waiting for us <laughs> to enter the next room. You know,
0: no, I, I, which
1: I know some people need that, but go ahead. Yeah.
0: Oh, sorry. No, just like yeah, like DMT is actually kind of fascinating to me. Like when I learned about that, and I was just like, bodies are so cool. Like, why would your body prepare for your final moment? Like, it's not invested <laughs> know, anymore. Right? But it like, did. Why?
1: Why? Totally. Totally. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Like if I'm just like, well, it's just, it's just the body preparing you, you know, to make it easy. It's like, but why the body decide, why would the body even decide to do that? Uh, that's great. And there's something reassuring to me in that question. It's like, well, there's more. Yeah. Something else we don't know yet. You know? Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. No, go. go ahead. Well, I'm feeling what you. We're touching on it already, and you said it earlier. It's like I'm good with death, and I'm like, well, I know this story already, and I've heard it a couple different times in a couple different ways, and I want it. We got to make time for it. I and I. I mean, the question to get us there is like, is part of why you're good with thine is because you did already. <laughs> <laughs> and this is how, you know, but you go, go how you want to go into this. I'm not sure if that's the way in, but
0: no, I think it is. Yeah. I mean, this is a lot. <laughs> Everything about me is a lot. Did you an icebreaker at work <laughs> where you did write your memoir in six words? And I was like, me and life were a lot, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. God, glad we're in the same club.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, still not 100% sure that I am not dead. Um Olivia won't tell me yes or no, which is not further helping, but you know if I am dead and I'm still going to work, then that's rude um and yeah, yeah, I guess I did go got. to the hell. That all get
1: those, a job, yeah.
0: But all those homophobes said that I was going to. I guess they were right. It's just, it's just yeah, capitalism.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's hell. It's hell. Yeah.
0: Um. But yeah. So a couple of years ago, I started having these really intense dreams where I would be driving in the dark and hit an animal. Um. And die. I know they say you can't die in your dreams, but I die in my dreams all the time. <laughs> I don't know. Okay,
1: so that's proven wrong. <laughs> like I, I die in my
0: dreams all the time, um, yeah. and so I just and and it was it was happening with like so much frequency and so much intensity, like every time, just on repeat. Every time I tried to sleep, just you know, in the car, I hit this animal and I die, and. I live in Alaska, so in the summer, the sun never sets, and so I make it through that winter, and then I'm like, I calm myself because I'm like, in the dream, it's dark, and it's not going to be dark for months, so you don't have to worry about it, and I had gotten after like a month or two to a place where I still was having the dreams, but I wasn't like emotionally stressed about it because I had more time, Mm -hmm. right, and I live in Alaska, people hit moose all the time, so... And I'm like, I'm gonna hit a moose, and I'm gonna die. Um, And so then I drive, or I fly down um, to meet with my friend Nick, um, and he's gonna do Nick (laughs) Jaina, the fabulous Nick Jaina. Oh my god! I know we're friends. I have cool (laughs) friends. (laughs) Um, Uh. And where he's writing, doing a writing workshop, uh, and we're gonna travel around Utah. And it's the first night, and. We're in the car and we're driving through the mountains in the dark. And I just realize I'm like, this is the road on my dream. But because you know, I've been socialized that you don't just like say like, hi, so I had a dream that we die on this road. Can we pull over? <laughs> I didn't yeah. feel like I could say that, which now I realize if I could say that to anyone, it would have been Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm getting like increasingly more, I'm just like, this is the road. I should say something. And then as I'm working up the courage to say something, just bam. And like, all of the sudden there is, we have hit an animal. (laughs) There is a huge animal. It's, it's my dream. Like we hit this dark giant animal in the middle of the road, but I don't die. And so we hit,
1: I mean that we know of that. that, Yes.
0: Well, and then this is why. So we (laughs) hit it. Nick does a great job, like not panicking and just slowly coming to a stop on the side of the road and get out of the car and then realize that there there are these black creatures everywhere and there's cars coming and so this other car coming the other way is like slams in and then another car slams into another and I realize they're cows they're all these giant black
1: multiple cars are hitting multiple cows
0: yeah and they're just like, and it, and but I don't understand what's going on because you can't really see them and it's a dark mountain yeah. road, wow. you know? And then, like, and the cars are still coming and there's still cows everywhere. And I'm like, I know that, you know, I'm like, if I'm in the road, people can't see me either, but I'm drawn to help people, you know, in these vehicles. And like, one was a car of like teenagers, like, you know, and then finally like a truck does stop and you know, he's able to put on his blinker so we can start to like slow down traffic, but we're so far out, you know, that it takes the paramedics a really long time to get there. Every other person, but me and Nick was medevaced out. Like they, like everyone else was like,
1: wow. Oh my God. Very
0: hurt. And then, Like when I was trying to destroyed. Yeah. Just like, just everyone else was like severely injured. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and like they get everyone out and then, you know, we're like, can someone help us get back? And they're like, why? And we're like, well, well we, you know, our cars totaled, like we hit a cow too. And they didn't believe me. They were like, but you are fine. (laughs) (laughs) You know? And they're like, yeah. They're like, you know, I didn't even have like an abrasion from the seatbelt.
1: Yeah. You should have had something.
0: And like nothing. Like I had not right. Nothing. Like Nick mm. was hurt his back, but like, you know, not like hospital hurt your back. Mm-hmm. And he had a little bruise, but I had nothing. And then the other piece of this is like, I'm not supposed to sit in the front seat of cars. I was in a bicycle accident and had facial reconstructive surgery. So seven mm-hmm. pounds of pressure like is all that it takes yeah. to like reopen. So I'm not mm-hmm. supposed to sit in a car where I can't turn the airbag off. Yeah. And the cow hit my side of the car and my airbag didn't go off. <laughs> like it was my dream. <laughs> the cow yeah, hit the yeah. car. It went over yeah, the yeah. car. It broke the back uh-huh. of the car. My airbag didn't go off. I didn't have a seatbelt. A ab- like no marks on me mm. whatsoever.
1: Wow. I'm so glad that I got to hear your version of the story. <laughs> do yeah. you feel like, to ask my question again, do you feel like what that was for you? Cause I'm just like the dreams, the powerful dreams. Do you feel like this was a shift in your relationship to dying or, or, or to death, your, your death. Yeah, absolutely. Like, what do you make meaning? You make meaning out of this. How, what meaning did you make out of this? I think it's I, like, there's gotta be something, right? Cause all the dreams and then the, this occurred, it's like, what is there?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, like one of the things that like Nick and my friendship with Olivia has brought me is this like acceptance and realization that there's so much more than I will ever know. You know, mm-hmm. and being like raised an atheist punk, you know, and then just having to be like, okay, like there's no explanation for that. I saw my own death, yeah. and then I moved through it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that it is making me ev- like every day, like a just you know, like I said today, I was grumpy, and then I was like, well, what if I'm not here tomorrow? You know, and I'm like, I almost didn't get this day. Like, I should have been medevaced out just like everyone else was, you know, like I I got given this day. And so I'm going to, I know it sounds corny, but you know, like going to try to make the best of it. You know, I think about that with my little brother and to go back to, uh, you know, the work that I do people like, isn't it hard? And I'm like, I feel so honored to be able to spend my time helping others, you know, and, and having another day to do that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And to be able to, to change the way that our organization and everyone sees, you know, healthcare and autonomy and death and life. And, you know, one of the reasons I think that the losing abortion access was so hard that we don't talk about is that like what people were grieving was possibility and hope. Right. And like when you don't give people access to sex education, when you don't give people access to abortion and healthcare, this really amazing, beautiful thing about being human, which is like loving each other and all of the different ways that that looks and how for, you know, a lot of people that love manifests into physical touch and relationships. You know, we call it love making for a reason. And if now in the back of your head you're like, what if? You know, what if I get pregnant and I don't finish school? What if I get pregnant and I'm in this relationship with this man who's not healthy, you know, for me in the long run or right now or, you know, and and so what we've really stolen from like an entire generation is the hope and possibility of what their lives can be. And I think that's really what this nation is grieving is a loss of. Something really beautiful about being human, and now it's always going to be toxic and scary for a huge group of people. Mm-hmm.
1: Rose for being on the show. And thanks to Nick Jaina for connecting us. Rose has asked that you go to Prairie Creek Conservation Cemetery. We'll put the link in the show notes. If you remember, that is where some of her family has been buried. Love that story. Love that part of our conversation. So you could actually go to that link, find out more about what they're up to. Maybe it'll inspire some place in your community to do something similar, but definitely go there and support that organization. Also go to the Northwest abortion access fund. Another direction that Rose is pointing us to, to offer support donations, contributions for that, uh, organization as well. Um, yeah. And Nick Jana, thank you so much for bringing your friend into this conversation with me. So glad that I got to talk to them.
2: Thank you for talking with my friend uh, i I was telling you earlier that um I've spent hundreds of hours in on the row on road trips with Rose and hearing incredible stories, uh, from their life. And every time we're on this nude road trip and they're telling a new story, I'm like, how have I not heard this before? And I had that same experience in this interview of listening to this, like, how have I not heard the story of you getting thrown out of your grandmother's funeral? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have I not heard the story of like you retrieving your father's body in Thailand in a temple? Like, um, I, I, they just—they just have a wealth of stories of so many vivid qualities that there's not enough time to get to everything. So yeah. I appreciate the the focused hour of an interview where it's like tell your. <clears throat> three most important, you know, deaths or near deaths. Yeah, uh, I mean that's
1: where they wanted you know, to go, and
2: obviously, you know,
1: that's 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 the right place to go. At least one of them for for a conversation like what happens here on the show. But um, I'm I'm getting over the many episodes, almost a hundred episodes. The times that we've had people you know on the show because there's a handful of friends of yours that have been on the show. How valuable it is for you to have sort of send me out to do like the research on these. Parts of their lives. Often, I feel like it's a, an experience for you where you're hearing about things that you've never heard about just because of whatever comes up between me and them, which is pretty awesome. I love that that that's part of part of our
2: our work with the podcast. Is you get that? Yeah. Maybe I should interview some of your friends so you get that experience. <laughs> I think so. Um, it's a problem with like super close longtime friends is you never like kind of reset and just be like, hey, tell me like the most yeah, yeah, essential stories of your life. Right. It's like, oh, we never, oh, we never went over that. I it's feel just, that's you kind of, true. You know,
1: like there's people yeah. that I know now that I consider friends that I haven't really told about my mom's death. Like mm. they know she died mm-hmm. probably, but like, yeah, I've not told the story of it, which actually matters a lot to me to share. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's something about being at this stage in life, I guess, as you compile so many like Rose has, where it would make sense. You know, it just doesn't come up. There's so many things to talk about. Um, Speaking of which, I'm really glad we get to have this more than usual. I'm always glad, Nick, to get to talk to you at the end when we do. But Mm -hmm. Rose and I were so emotional and carried away with our conversation that there was a little bit of the story about you and Rose hitting a cow that was left out and so I kind of wanna I kind of wonder if you could fill that in if we could return to that I, we've talked about it on the show before I feel like but I, I at least have heard about that story from you um, but I'm
2: wondering what can we can we finish
1: that story right now
2: <laughs> yeah you both said that and then I listened to the interview and I was like well it's not like you left before saying whether we died or not, you know, I mean, <laughs> well, then, clearly, <laughs> we did reach like a, a stasis. Point. I don't <laughs> think I knew
1: this part of the story though. Cause Rose emailed me afterwards and was like, Oh my gosh, I forgot to say that this happened afterwards. And, uh, you'd never told me that. So I guess I did get a Wait, little over. Well now let me see if I, let me see if I can remember there's something about, um, the
2: name of the owners of the cows. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, if it's not obvious, like it's unusual to have a cow on a highway, right? Like it, you know, you might just think like, oh well, Utah. Who knows? Like what's happening that, But like, they
1: wouldn't want their cows to go on the road.
2: Yeah. There are like. <laughs> safeguards in place yeah. to stop that from happening. The theory was that, um, you know, those cow grates that, uh, that cows can't step over, that it had filled up with enough dirt mm. um, that, that some were able to walk over and it was the middle of the night and somebody just didn't see, and there were all black cows. And so they just kind of like wandered out. And I like to think about their perspective of the night, <laughs> the cows. it's like, Oh cool. Oh, let's go this way. Oh, we've never been here before. And then suddenly they're in the middle of a highway. Um, but, It it seemed to be when we talked to the sheriff and we like, uh, we we then had to go back, you know, my car was totaled and I was living in my car at the time. So like my car and my house were totaled essentially. Mm -hmm. And I was stuck in Provo, Utah, just not knowing what to do next. Fortunately, our friend Olivia knew a, a nearby witch who, uh, went with us to do a ceremony near the point of the accident. I'm sorry.
1: I want to, I want to treat this as matter of fact. And I just want to acknowledge listeners that are listening to this story and getting how just wild, it is. Even just to say, by the way, Olivia, another person who's been on the show, uh, who just said they knew a witch nearby. I'm sorry. That is wonderful. And I just want to
2: <laughs>
1: highlight the wildness of this story. Okay. That's just a quick interjection. Okay,
2: go on. Uh, there's so many details that are wild that I'm actually leaving out, but like, I'm yeah, sure. you think you don't need a witch in your life and then you like hit a cow and you're, and you're like, I need a witch, you know? And part of it was like, I I want to, it's funny. Okay. Here's another detail. Like Rose mentioned, I was doing a writing workshop, right? right before we ran into this cow, the last exercise of the writing workshop was like, I'm assigning archetypes to everyone here. Go off and write from your archetype. And I listed a bunch of them and I just assigned them randomly. And I went around the table. When I got to me, the one left was Minotaur, mm-hmm. which is like half man, yes. half cow. Uh-huh. You know. And then I run into a cow. And so like part of my feeling afterward was just like, how do I dissipate this energy? Like I went to like a a, a chiropractor to like, Deal with that, your physical yes. trauma, but also just like, I just like smashed into a, a pregnant cow and like merged with that spirit. Yeah. And like, how do I kind of let go of that fear and mm. trauma and stuff? So we went up with this this witch up to near the spot and we like built a little circle and like had this little ceremony and poured out some oil and had some uh, off- offerings to the land and to the cow. And we found out. While well up there, that the the ranch that was like likely the ranch that these cows came from, the name of the ranch was uh, also Rose's last name, and so it was like yeah. uh, uh, oh potentially like a lineage that was related to Rose. And so, yeah, thinking of all those ways of like my ancestral baggage literally came in to like reenact my nightmares about my own death, and somehow that didn't take, you know, and I didn't die, but I still like literally confronted, mm-hmm. uh, my ancestry, yeah. you know, in, in the middle of the night. Yeah. You know? Oh my gosh. Um, I, I, and so, and, and yeah, you know, Rose got on this trip that, that they mentioned in the interview of just like, did I die? <laughs> yeah. Right. I never, and I, did I never was, I never was fixated on that in the same way. Obviously it's they that had blurry. Their, like even they talking to Rose, I was like, still, are we it's Four years later. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and, and they're right. It's like, oh man, that I kept going to work even though I was dead, that would be a bummer. Oh you know? yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I also just want to then acknowledge this This last part is extraordinary. All these details. And I just want to acknowledge you for having a life that has so many extraordinary details. You take them for granted. You're like, what What else was there? No, oh, I don't that take is, for Well, I, I just mean that wonderful. like, that's, oh, those are wildly significant piece of the story that i don't think i ever heard let's maybe take it for granted is not the right wording it's just that there's so many you can't even tell them all you know
2: okay the biggest one that i didn't mention <laughs> oh, <another yeah>. one. <laughs> uh, shaquille o'neal was that? no okay. <laughs> okay yes yes um, He was there. A a few days after this accident. Standing in the field, Shaquille O'Neal is just
1: standing there.
2: Forgot to mention that. Go ahead. A few days after this accident, I was set to release an album called Black Rainbow and I would describe the meaning of that term as a black that is blacker than black. Like when you, when you see like a shadow at night and and you can tell that it's like a richer black than the night mm-hmm. around you that you thought was black. And that was what I saw in that split second when we saw mm. the the animals. Um, and I, and I dispute uh, rose's telling of this because I distinctly remember that they knew immediately they, they shouted cows. Um, but in that split second before they said cows, I saw just a black shadow on the highway and it was moving slowly and it was inexplicable. And it was, and I remember being struck by the beauty of it. Mm. And I remember in that short period of time thinking there's a black rainbow. Mm. Um, and so like on my own little timeline, I have this like reckoning with like premonitions of like, Oh, there it is. Oh, Oh, it's beautiful. And then Rose shouting cows, you know, and then hitting this thing. Mm. Um, but that was in, in the era of the time for me of just like thinking about like, what is the black rainbow? Why, mm-hmm. you know, why do you just call things this and then put them out into the world? Mm-hmm. That was it. I ran right into it. Yeah. Wow. Thanks,
1: Nick. Thank you so much. And thanks to Rose. And thanks to all of you for being on this adventure with us. We might all be dead already. So if so, try not to work too hard, find some fun, find some
2: lightness,
1: (laughs) okay? Um, And also, if you're alive, thank goodness. We're so glad you're here. Thank you so much for listening to You're Going to Die, the podcast.